Hey everybody, thanks for coming to another episode of My Angular Story. Today, uh, as our guest, we have one of my friends, Thomas Burleson. Thomas, can you introduce yourself for those who don't know you? Hi everybody, my name is Thomas Burleson. I've been involved with software development for longer than I care to admit. Um, I had a, the pleasure to meet Frosty, what Frosty, what has it been now, almost eight years ago? Probably. Six years ago? At least. And um, that's part of the story that we'll talk about today. Uh, but it was the start of a, a really great friendship and uh, someone who's in my life that I very much value. And so yeah. Frosty asked me to come here today and, and just chat. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So you're, you're one of our guests that most people will know and so um, I, we're going to spend some time just kind of talking about your background just so that they can get okay. to know you more. Some of our guests are like, I don't know this person, but I'm, I mean, maybe I'm biased or, or oblivious, but I'm guessing most people know you. So you have a long history in coding. How did, how, what, what's your windy path that ends in use using Angular? So my path, I would not actually recommend to anyone. Okay. Um, if, if you did it the hard way, if you could choose a hard path, it would probably would match mine. Uh, uh, you know, you meet a lot of developers these days who talk about they got into software development because they had an idea and they started young, 15 or 16 or 18. Yeah, I'm jealous was, of those people. Like, I'm absolutely like, right. I wish I was, yeah. They, and they think in code, right? It just comes natural to them. And, and for me, that wasn't the case, right? I mean, in college, I took a programming class and I flunked it so bad on the first test that I dropped out of the, of the programming class. At this is age, what age is this when you had that happen? This was, I think I was 19 or 20, but it, okay. it was, and I thought I knew it locked in, right? I was arrogant and young. And so I, I put it aside. And I thought, oh, and I was getting a degree in applied physics, right? I was building neutrino lab de or detector systems and all sorts of things. Uh, but I couldn't program, right? And, mm. and this was back, obviously, in the days, uh, to sort of date myself a bit, this is back in the days of fax mainframes, right? So there weren't personal, really personal computers at the time. Mm. So... I put it aside and I went to graduate school and I, I decided to go to graduate school to learn, um, uh, to get a degree in applied laser optics. So laser wow. guidance systems and satellite systems and um, fiber optics and things like that. Yeah. And while I was, and I got a research assistantship position, freak of luck, and that's a separate story, which is really funny. But uh, I had a professor who believed in me, hired me as a research assistant, and I was helping him put together proposals for um, star, um, um, uh, SDI, so a satellite defense initiative, so way back then, and yeah. for black projects for the military. And we were winning contracts right and left. And we were winning them because I was helping him write killer proposals with great graphics and illustrations and diagrams, and taking very technical thoughts and making them, presenting them in a simple, intuitive fashion. You're we good at that. that. I know uh, that about you. I, I, that is one of my You've strengths. You've been good at that right? for a long time then. Yeah, I think it's maybe one of my few strengths. Okay. So, but I was started doing that on a Mac, right? And I was using MacDraw and I was using Canvas. And, and one day I thought, how does, that, how does that work? How does the mouse, when I move it on the desk, how does it move it on the screen and draw these rectangles with these, and these circles and these layers? And how does it color it? And I thought, I want to know how to write a program to do that. And that literally was the start of my software career. I, I wanted to learn how to do what I saw some another program doing. Sounds like you're still pretty young though at this point. 
I was young and I didn't have anyone else to bounce ideas off. This was back in the days of um, bulletin board systems. Yeah, and there's no Stack Overflow. There was no Google, no Stack Overflow. There's no blogs. Like there's, nothing, yeah. nothing, right? And if you wanted to ask even one of the vendors, hey, how do you do this? What's wrong with your tool? You had to pay $200 an hour and wait on, um, for a text, a phone call, right? Hmm. So there weren't even video calls, nothing. And so I started teaching myself and it was a long road, right? And truth be told, I oversold my skills a couple of times. Like I was way underqualified for the job I got. But my mm. attitude was get in. I never tried to hire myself as a senior person, but I would try to say I can do this. And then I, I just had confidence that I would figure it out on the fly. Because you so, had a history of doing that. I had a history you of... Knew, you knew you'd done it before. So you're like, I could, I, I, I could figure it out even if I don't know it. I knew that I could figure it out. I might not have had a history of being successful, you know, and writing software before, but I just had, I had a, a confidence, right? And I had yeah. a willingness to invest the time. Okay. And, you know, nowadays, uh, as a slight digression, you, when you and I talk and people say, oh, I wish I could be a developer, right? I wish I could work remote and travel around the world and all that, you know, or I wish I could make really good money that seems like contractors make. And, um, which isn't necessarily the case. And my number one response is, well, can you sit in front of a computer for 10 to 12 hours a day? Because if you can't, then don't try to become a software developer. And that's the number one thing you have to be willing to put in the time. Right? So I didn't know much and, but I was willing to put in the time. I was willing to bang my head. And so, uh, I got a job in, um, actually working on one of the first email programs out on the market. So this is way back before um, Outlook, way back, way before Gmail and all that. In fact, I was actually working on another product called Visual Source Safe before it was acquired by Microsoft. Visual Source Safe was the precursor to SVC and Git. Oh, wow. So, um, so I was working on an email program and I was also working on Visual Source Safe. And I, I, I could write, help them write software, but I still didn't have the light bulb go on. And then I came to Iowa and I was working for a company and I was paired with you, you live in Iowa, true. I do. I do. I live yeah. in Iowa. So I was paired with a developer, uh, a manic Russian developer. I love Russian developers. They're awesome. Uh, who was just passionate about C plus plus. Right. And I didn't know what C plus plus was and I didn't know what object oriented programming was. And so he started mentoring me and, but it wasn't so much a mentor as just sort of paired peer type of work. One day the light bulb went on. I was like, Oh my God, I really get it. Polymorphism and inheritance and subclassing and method overloading. And I totally get it. And it was one of those epiphanies, right? Yeah. And I think that was a switching point for me where I, uh, um, I had a moment where I thought, okay, I can actually, I can absorb complicated ideas and turn them around and reuse them, apply them. But that was also one of the jobs where I had one of my boss at the time pulled me aside. And I've, I've had this happen two or three times in my life where someone has approached me and said, I think you need to choose a different career. You're never going to be <laughs> successful at software development. Right. Awesome. Thanks, <laughs> no, I, awesome. Honestly, and not just once, two or three times, dude. Right. Yeah. And each time I, I was willing to admit that I had some gaps, I had some faults I needed to correct, right? Things to work on. But I was also unwilling to accept someone's bigoted opinion to say that I couldn't be, couldn't do it. Yeah. It was almost as if they challenged me, right? Yeah. And of course, I refused to have them as a boss after that, and I would move to someone else. Yeah. And um, then one day... I, so I was doing um, C++ for a while, then I was doing Visual Basic, then I was doing Python, and, and then uh, Turbo Pascal, and Delphi, and so Windows Foundation now, class. Now we're up into the 90s, late 90s. Yeah, yeah, you can sort of hear where this is going, right? Yep, yep. And then one day, uh, I heard an ad about Adobe. They were going to show, not from Adobe at the time, it was Macromedia, they were going to show the Flash MX Studio. Wow. And I, it, it was a seminar up in Minneapolis and I had to drive four hours. And so at the time I said to my, I think she was my girlfriend at the time, might've been my wife at the time, but I said, I'm going to drive up to there and attend this seminar. It's all weekend. And 
at the end of the Saturday and Sunday seminar, I, I called my girlfriend, my wife, and I said, I found what I want to do. I want to write rich internet applications. I want to write rich front ends. Hmm. I want to write applications that do amazing, create amazing user experiences. So I, obviously at the time that was um, Flash. Well, Flash sucks for developing apps. It always did, right? Flash was great for eye candy and morphing, but for developing apps, it was just the pit. Okay. Uh, six months after that, Flex came out and Cold Fusion also. And that was sort of a marriage made in heaven. Flex came out and I got a job with a company, uh, a consulting firm as one of their primary architects. It was a four-man company. That company grew to be 45 people. And I, for four years, I was one of their top three principal architects. Okay. And for the next eight years, I developed Flex applications uh, for many, like uh, Vimeo and um, a whole bunch of other um, groups. And uh, started, the, uh, Micromedia was acquired by Adobe. And that was my forte, right? Going into small companies or even enterprise companies and training their developers, teaching them how to develop uh, real deployable production applications, web apps with Flash, or excuse me, with the Flash player. Then Steve Jobs came out and said, hey, um, uh, Flash player will never be on the iOS. Well, I'm sorry, that was, that was like um, an ax blow to the head, right? There, I knew then that as much as I'd love that environment, I needed to make a change. And so I decided that I needed to move over. And what was I going to do next, right? Because when you have to make a fundamental paradigm change in what you love doing, it actually creates a lot of angst. It creates a lot of mental pressure because there are a lot of decisions that you can make, but which is the right one? Which direction is the right one, right? And what you don't yeah. want to do is choose it for money, you don't want to choose it for secure. Like I can also tell developers, don't choose the direction you want to go because it's safe. Absolutely don't do that. That's sort of like saying you're in a prison and I'm going to open the door, but you'll never leave the prison cell because it's comfortable. It's safe in the prison cell. Okay. Think about all the other opportunities you would, you might regret that you never explored, right? So I decided, well, I still love doing front-end applications and I, I had a full-stack experience Right, I, I was helping developers develop um, enterprise uh, applications in Java. So I, I was working on REST applications. I was doing cold fusion for CMS and very complicated things. But I wanted to stay in the front tier, the client tier. So I started looking, and at that time, it was JavaScript and Knockout and Sencha. Oh, my yeah. God, I, hate, I hated Sencha. I didn't um, love it, but it was... Better than what I'd done before, Sencha. Well, you got to remember when I came from Flex, I was I came from an environment that is eerily like um, I'll mention something in a minute, but it had dependency injection. Flex mm. had Swizz, it had metadata, it had decorators, it had mm. code generation, it had um, a, a rich API for drawing and mm. data binding, had everything you wanted. And Sencha was not dependency injection at all. It was just horrible in my opinion. Yeah. And lo and behold, right about that time, Angular 0.9 was out on the market. What year is this? Wow, was that 2014 or 12 no, or something like that? That was 12, I think. Was it 12? Because that's I think about right. when I walk into the scene, and I yeah. was doing Sencha right before that uh -huh. as well. Sencha that's was funny. hot right about that time. But yeah. we, I think you and I got into the market right about the same time. And it was even before the 1.0, right? They, yeah. And, and it was before they had documented what the AngularJS modules were about. And there was no documentation. And the only to learn, way to learn how the system worked was to dive into the source code. And if you haven't looked at, and I know, Frosty, you have, but if, if the people listening haven't ever looked at a really cool code, go take a look at the Angular, not the Angular code, because that's actually almost too complicated to look at. Take a look at the Angular JS core code. That was very functional-like, and it was really, really, I learned a lot of things, right? Yeah. So I got involved, uh, and I started helping a client develop um, an AngularJS application. And I also just started teaching myself and, and trying to write a blog about it and just spent, well, basically, when I did the paradigm change, I think I spent four or five months with no, no income. 
right? I just wanted to learn it and, and get really good at it. And then once you have a basis, you really need to have a project that you want to apply it to because it's just learning for the sake of learning. You don't learn well, in my opinion. No, yo, I'm the same. That I really, my aha moment that you're talking about happened because I, I was emotionally invested in what was happening. That's right. It wasn't, That's right. it wasn't a homework assignment, which I wasn't emotionally invested in, or it wasn't something that someone, a neighbor asked me to do. It was like, I, I was emotionally triggered and boom, it, it was off to the races at that point. Yeah. So we're slowly building up to the path where I met you, Frosty, but there's a couple other things I think the audience might like to hear. So I'll, I'll tell some of that. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I presented at, I think, the first NGConf. Yeah, you were I, there. Um, I, I presented why RequireJS and AngularJS are a match made in heaven. Yeah. Right, because a lot of people were saying, oh, you don't need RequireJS. And, you know, what's the difference between the two? And I presented on this. And well, this is back in the day where you've got either grunt or require those are your well or you could just add script tags to a page which means that you're insane so if you want an actual build system you've got require or grunt back in that day there was well, no even, gulp yet there was no broth there was no gulp yeah. but even with grunt the problem was back then there weren't modules there weren't es6 modules so how True. did you take code that was in multiple files True. and keep them self-contained so yeah. they didn't pollute each other, require. Right? overwrite? Require was the only way, yeah. So you'd have to wrap it in a require, a require wrapper, yeah. essentially, right? Yeah, AMD and, made that easier, yeah. Right, and then you had AngularJS modules, which is uh, not an, uh, a file module. It's not a file container. It's really a DI registration system. And But the two were beautiful. So yeah. I presented on it, and then afterwards, I, I was walking in the NG, Salt Lake City NGConf halls, and I saw uh, Mishko and Brad Green, and I think even Igor was there. And I went up to him. I said, "You know, I said I just love Angular JS. I said Angular. It was Angular at the time. Yeah, yeah. Back then, we just called it Angular. Exactly right. They had a name change, which I I think was probably not a good idea, but uh, they were married to the idea of Angular, and so I went up to them. And I, I just told them how much I loved the work they were doing and how excited I was about the, all the features and the thought that went into Angular at the time. And I remember Brad said, he looks at me and goes, well, why don't you come work for us at Google? And I know he was saying it casually, like, you, you know, you know, basically, you'd have to go through the interview process and all that. So Obviously. it wasn't a secret door. Yeah, 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 And I looked at him and I said, you know, my wife has, is a partner in, uh, in a practice in Des Moines. I said, we're not moving. I said, I would love to work for you guys, but um, to work for you guys, I have to relocate. And Brad goes, yes. I said, I'm, I'm not moving, so sorry, I can't do it. Well, about two months later, I get an email from Brad Green. He says, hey, I, we have this interesting project going on. Um, I want to see if you might be interested in, in talking about it. I said, well, Brad, I said, I'm going to be uh, working with a client in San Francisco uh, and down at the, uh, what's that military base there in San Fran? Um, the Presidio is okay. that right? The Presidio. Area. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So uh, they they had a little startup there, and I was working with them for about two weeks. And I said, on that Friday, well, I'll just come down to Mountain View, and um, we can talk. And Brad said, No, you don't. You don't have to do that. I said, No, I really want to. I, you know, I wanted to see Google, right? So totally. Friday, yeah. come, Friday comes along, and the week had been hell, right? It was just I was so brain dead, no energy. And I came within a finger's width of making the decision of going, you know what? I'll just tell Brad I can't make it. And then I thought, I said I would do something. I need to follow through. And that's another thing that I have to tell people here in the audience. That's another thing I would recommend. If a few things that you could focus on is if you say you're going to do something, do it. then either do it or communicate ahead of time why, what, that there's an issue. That's all, right? But if you say you're going to do it, then don't not do it or don't bail out at the last minute. So I drove down to Mountain View and I didn't know where that was, right? Uh, I didn't realize it was a two, with traffic, it was almost a two hour drive. Oh yeah, that's a hike to get all the uh, way down there from, uh, yeah. from San Francisco, yeah. From the, from the Golden Gate Bridge all the way down, was, it was a pain, right? Yeah. So I get down and I, then I'm trying to find where they are, trying to find the, the check-in desk and all that. And Brad shows up, like finally comes around the corner. I never, I haven't seen Brad in a while. And for those of you who have never met Brad, Brad's a very charismatic individual. He's probably what, 6'3", 6'4", 
Yeah, yeah. Tall, lean, bright smile, comes up, gives me a handshake and says, hey, come on. And leads me through a maze of buildings and doors and all that to a conference room. Sits down. I said, so, um, so tell me about this project of yours. He goes, well, he goes, you know, we have Angular and material design is, we have this spec coming out called the, the material design specification. He goes, have you heard of that? I said, no. And he said, well, we have this UI specification, but there isn't a UI library in Angular. And I shook my head. Yes. I said, yeah, I know. It's, it's sort of a, a glaring omission. He goes, yeah, well, it's brutal. It was brutal. He goes, well, I think we need to, I'm forming, I want to form a little team to, um, to build an Angular material library. I said, okay. He goes, are, are you interested? I said, well, I said, I'm, I'm interested, but um, who, who are the people that are going to be involved? And so, and it turns out some of the people that were involved were um, Adam and Max from the Ionic uh, team, right? From oh, Max cool. is now the CEO of Ionic. Yeah, Max Lynch, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Adam Fla um, uh, Flatter, I always pronounce his name wrong, uh, Flater Flatter uh, was also, he was, the, he, he's an amazing individual also. So I was working with those two and there were a couple other people and I said, okay, well, when's the project going to start? And he goes, I don't know, maybe eight or six or eight weeks. And I said, well, how long is the project going to be? And he, and he goes, I don't know, uh, maybe um, three or six months. And I said, well, and how many, how, do you have a vision of what you, how you wanted this to be created and what you want it to be delivered? He goes, no, he goes, I think I'm going to leave that up to you guys to figure that out. Hmm. And I looked at him and I said, well, I said, I'm interested, but you know, I need to talk to my wife. <laughs> yeah. So we talked a few more minutes later and uh, he, he gave me some other offers and I said, okay, I said, I said, now I, I can't resist. I said, I'll accept the offer, but I'm still going to confirm it with my wife, Brad. Yeah. And that project went from this abstract of uh, maybe three to six months. It turned into a two and a half year project yeah. and a four year engagement of, with me, with, with the Angular Google team. Wow. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. We went from, and Max and Adam, short, within six months, they had to spin off. I think it was six months, had to spin off because Ionic was getting real traction and Max just, he, he was made a very wise decision. I can't do both and do well at both. I need to focus on the company and the Ionics, you know, the framework and their business. Hmm. So that left me pretty much as the technical lead. And at one point we had uh, 10 developers. Now the, all these developers were working remote. Just on the material stuff, 10 developers. Just on Angular JS material okay. because it was all from scratch. And for those of you, um, who have never seen it? Let me let me see if I can pull up the uh, just to tell everyone what the URL is material.angularjs. Yeah, material.angularjs.org. So not only did we need to create this library, but we needed to create documentation for it, and we needed to have demos. Yeah, we needed to have an API set, yep. and we needed to have documentation that was synced with the specific version that you were using. So you could mm. go to any version and see the docs for that version. For that version. So that you, could, you could be pinned to an older version and still have the docs correct. for that version. Yeah. Correct. So we knew this, right? And the, doc, the, the demos had to be a reasonable enough of the similar type of things that you would ha might have in the real world, right? And we wanted to have a way that you could link from the demos to online to get the sort. This was before Stackblitz, right? So we figured out how to do it with CodePen. So it was all cutting edge, right? Uh, how, how were we going to do dialogues? How were we going to do pop-ups? How did we do the select menu? How, and, all, and all of this had to be tied into how we were going to do builds and the build tools within an AngularJS framework before ES6 and TypeScript. So it was hmm. really quite the, the task. Hmm. So at one point, um, we're turning along, and I'll tell two funny stories because – uh, Frosty, you've heard of this, these before, but I'll tell them for the sake of the audience. Uh, we're turning along and there were, and all of our people have, after the first four developers, almost everyone else came on board the team based on open source contributions. 
They were involved in on the GitHub repo. They were submitting issues. They were uh, they were having they were helping support other issues by adding reasonable comments and suggestions. They were submitting PRs, and there was one individual that um, sort of stood out. So I reached out to Naomi. Naomi Black was the uh, the PM for on that project, and she was just fantastic. I just love Naomi. And I said, Naomi, this guy um, is doing, he's been so prolific in supporting and getting involved. I think we should get him on the team. And so Naomi said, do it. So I reached out to this gentleman and it turns out that um, his name was Elad Bezalo. And Elad was a soldier in the Israeli army, hmm. working at night, contributing all the way across the, the water. Really? Really? On it. Oh yeah, and he was he was present every day, and he was working this. And I mean, he was really contributing good stuff, right? So I reached out to him, and at the time, his English wasn't that great, as I recall. So a lot, if it was great, I apologize, but I, as my memory says, it wasn't that great. And I said, <laughs> and a lot, and I now are really close friends. In fact, I consider him part of the family. He's so awesome. He's awesome. Uh, he is awesome, right? Yeah. So I, um, I. How did I? So I reached out to Lod and I said, Hey, I said, we want to see if you'd like to join. And we got on a conference call. And I said, like, if, if, if you'd like to join the AngularJS material. And it was almost like he dropped the mic. He's running, you could hear him running around the back of the room going, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, right? And screaming. <laughs> he finally comes out, he goes, Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. And I said, And I said, of course, we're going to have to pay you. Drops the mic again. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Running around, you know, just. Right, <laughs> was, right, right. He was going to do it for free. It was like, no, no, no. We're going to pay you. Right, right. You're, you're part of the team. We're going to pay you, right? And so he joined. And there was also, you know, Robert Messerly and Ryan Schumacher and a few others. And he was great. And then we had one other one was we had another individual that was drowning us in PRs, like wasn't just giving us one or two, was giving us like four to 10 a week and just killing us. And he was- Because you have to review all this. and Not only review it, some of them, we were already doing these features in our own pipeline. Okay. So he was replicating and he wasn't communicating with us and, and he was he was- all over the place, right? And and so before you join the team, we would test you. So we had a test. We'd say, all right, find some PRs this person was involved in. Ask going to make changes. See how they communicate. See how they respond. Are they being a jerk? Because if they are, they, they automatically excluded themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So there was no written policy about how you get on the team. It was all like the secret process, right? Yeah. And uh, so this individual, um, he had some good PRs. He had others that were, were reasonable, but they weren't in the direction we wanted to go. So I remember reaching out to Alad. I said, Alad, this, this guy is out of control. I reach out to him and try to get him to collaborate better. Alad couldn't, couldn't get him to coordinate. So I, I went back to Naomi and he said, Naomi, I said, I, I think the best thing we can do is hire this one too. Get him on the team. So reached out <laughs> to this individual. And um, this individual, his name was Paul Geschwender. Yeah. Who's now also on the Angular Material team. Yeah. Um, but he was a kid back then, yeah? You hit it on the head. So it turns out Paul, who could hardly, he could speak English a little bit, um, was 15 in high school. Again at so night, crazy. right? But yeah. because he was young, we couldn't pay him. Uh, and right. so I asked him if he wanted to be involved. And he said, absolutely. And then I said, all right, well, then we'll figure out how to bring you and your parents to um, Angular Connect. He'd never been to a conference before. Obviously, because he's a kid. He's just young, but he yeah. was a prodigy, right? I mean, yeah. he was just amazing. And so he joined the team and his focus, like he, he could just breathe code. I mean, I'd, I still to this day, but back then, even when he was 15 or 16, I'd get stuck on something. And I'd reach out to Paul or a lot or anyone on the team. Um, and But, you know, I remember several instances with Paul. Paul. I'm stuck here. Can you get on a call with me and look at some code? And half the time it was me explaining it to him and I solved it. The other half of the time. You, like, you oh. just, you just rubber ducked it to him and figured Correct. it out. Got yep. it. Yep. Thank you. Cause I always forget that term, right? Yeah. What, what is rubber ducking? Yeah. But, and the other half of the time he solved it and there was no like, Hey, I'm older. You're younger. None of that crap. It was more of, I love the way you think. I yeah. love the solutions. I love what you're doing. I love the way you collaborate. And, and it was two-way. Yeah. And I, I think that was the secret 
to our success on the Angular JS Material team was that we respected each other. We were willing to un, um, uh, um, we were willing to rubber duck with each other. We were willing to learn from each other, right? There, in in everyone on the team, and so that project went on and I think we released 1.0 and then 1.1 and then I actually moved on from there to oh right about then Frosty was when you and I met yep. because right at the end um, I was thinking well we need something so Frosty why don't you tell us tell that part about how we because you reached out to me sir yeah remember? I pinged you yeah so me and you knew of each other to say we were friends with genuine though right like we, we weren't not each other no we weren't buddies yeah um, and we never worked together before. We just knew each other on the, the professional, on the, in the community. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, and Egghead was like, hey, come up with some more courses. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know what course I could do. Like, um, I suppose it might be cool to do a course on uh, Angular Material. Like, a lot of people should be using that because like, I knew how hard it was to build my own components. Like I, I had built in my entire component library at work, me and my coworkers, and it was a pain. It was a pain. So I was like, maybe we could do an Angular Material one. And so I pinged you and was like, oi, uh, <laughs> let's, what do you think? Um, collaborate? And you were like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll come to Utah. And I, I wasn't expecting you to be so like lean in so hard. Like, I was like, I hope he leans in, but you leaned in hard. You're like, no, I'll come to you. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, then I guess we're definitely doing it. So, um, yeah, and you booked a, a, uh, an Airbnb, and we spent a weekend, and then... Dude, we didn't spend a weekend. You took off a week. We spent yeah. eight hours a day in this Airbnb That's building true. these videos yeah. for, for at least five days. It was... I was so amazed with you and your passion and your willingness to do this. And it was so much fun. I was the same. I was like, Thomas, Thomas is, was, is, is crazy dedicated to this project. Like he's flying to Salt Lake, paying his own Airbnb costs. I felt so on the hook. I was like, all right, I'm on the hook. I got to get this done. Like I gotta, <laughs> I gotta meet him 50, 50 and he's all the way in. So I got to lean in hard. So yeah, I was, I was, I was like, likewise, the admiration was like, okay, Thomas is committed way more than I am. So I got to step up my commitment level. Like that's right. It I was mean, like this weird thing. And you were working at Domo at the time. And yeah. I knew that you were involved in the community, but I, I had no sense of how much of an architect you were yourself. Right. And so that week together, uh, it was like, holy hell, here's a person. He's like a total hidden gem. And both from a person perspective and from a skill perspective, right? And it was just, it was, and to be clear to the audience, um, Google wasn't paying for this trip. You know, as, as you said, Frosty, yeah, it was totally. out of my own pot. Because if we were going to have it on Egghead and then Egghead was going to charge money for it, no way was You were going to make gonna, checks, then Google couldn't pay for it. They, they weren't going to pay for that, right? Even yeah. though Naomi was endorsing me being away, saying, yes, go do this. Because she, you know, her opinion about Angular and her, the way she involved the community was the secret to a success, right? Getting the community intimately involved in the process and the features and the feedback and all that was so then you and I, that's when we did the videos and that was, um, you know, it, it was like the start of a really good friendship. And then yeah. from there, uh, as we started to continue that journey, then I went into Angular Flex Layout. Yeah, I remember I that. The, you know, I had this idea. Well, no, even before that, um, that's how I got involved with ThoughtRam. So yep. I met Christoph and Pascal at NGConf. And actually, I met them before that, but I started talking to them at NGConf about their training that they were doing. And I really liked them. And I really liked the way they did their Angular Masterclass. And I said, I want to be, I want to be involved with you guys in doing training. And so I started doing that and traveling around the world with them, you know, uh, Ireland and England and um, Australia and New Zealand and United States. Uh, we didn't do any, yeah, even in the United States, we did some work. And teaching this to hundreds had, of developers. We had Craig Spence on here a few weeks ago. Well, maybe a few months ago. And we talked about your travels around the world, specifically work with him and his team. So, yeah. 
You're traveled. You know, uh, Craig is, he cracks me up. Craig is also someone I hold dear to my heart. Uh, when I first met Craig, he came in, he never walks around without his laptop. And he's always like coding while he's walking, right? Yeah. Because he's just, and, but when I met him, he had his laptop open, walking to a meeting. And I think he had pink fuzzy bunny slippers on or something like that. <laughs> And he's just so eccentric and so intelligent and so himself that I just love, you know, it was like, dude, you're awesome. He is awesome. So, uh, so yeah, it's funny how, as you get involved in the community and you start, for me, it was not only team lead on material JS and working as the architect on angular flex layout, and then working with you on the egghead videos and working with thought Ram on the training. I've met so many amazing people. And that's the thing that I keep trying to um, leave as an important message to everyone is it's not the, the goal that's so important. It's the journey. It's the, the legacy. It's the relationships you build from project to project. Right. Uh, and, and then from there, um, from Angular Flex Layout, then I started working with Narwhal. You know, I had met, I knew Jeff Cross informally while at Google, but I didn't really get to know them until I said that he and uh, Victor spun off and I had a chance to work with them for almost a year at Narwhal. And amazing, two individuals, amazing. I met some amazing people there at Narwhal and, um, they're amazing developers. Victor is, is, a, is a force unto himself, or not unto himself, but under the, in the industry, right? He's really, he makes me laugh because he's so cynical and so passionate and, um, and so insightful. And then from there, I went, I went back off on my own as, as more as an independent contractor. And, you know, my, but ne never along the way have I stopped believing in myself, uh, but it's never been easy, right? It's, there have been moments where it's been, one has to step back and go, okay, I got to, um, you, you can burn out so easily, especially as a, as a developer and, or you can be pulled in one direction and realize it's a dead end. So what do you do when you're being pulled in one direction and you feel your career's in a dead end? What do you well, do? You have to step back and go, what is it you love? And what is it you feel you want to learn next? And then maybe you start teaching yourself this on the, on the weekends of the night. Instead of watching TV and, and um, sitcoms at night, maybe spend two or three nights a week um, teaching yourself something, right? The, the, and between front-end masters and Egghead and YouTube, you want to learn GraphQL? You want to learn about RxJS? You want to learn about NGRx? You want to learn about React? You want to learn about Angular? You want to learn how to do REST service? Whatever. It's, there's opportunities now. Well, and the thing that's really cool, Frosty, is AngularJS proved this. You don't have to interview to knock on a door to get invited in. If you just, especially with open source, if you just start contributing some of these projects, um, if you're contributing in a, in, a, in a worthwhile way and in a meaningful way, they're going to ask you, you. Yeah. they'll reach out to you. Now yeah. it's not guaranteed, right? So there, there's, you, I can't tell you how, um, how to pick one or not. And, um, but the opportunities can happen. And I think the way they happen is just if you're passionate and you want to write software and you want to collaborate. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so I have a question for you. I want to see what your thoughts are. Um, so you're ready for, you're ready for a change. Maybe you're, maybe you're, you just described, Hey, you're at a point where you're, you're meeting a resistance or a ceiling or you're, you're, you're saying, Hey, I'm at a dead end. I want to change. Is kind of what you're saying, right? And you're saying, Hey, um, do there's so many resources do instead of watching TV, do these, do one of a million things, right? And I totally agree with that. I'm going to ask you a different question. What if you're in quicksand and if you don't, like if you do anything besides everything you're doing, if you do anything, if you, if you, if you try and do the things you just said, you're going to drop some other balls that you can't drop, right? How do I, how do I get out of that? What do you think, Thomas? How do you get out of that scenario? Like the quicksand scenario where, you're in the middle, so it's hard to see what people on the outside see, and you're just struggling from the inside. Mm. What do you do? What, what do you recommend someone who's in quicksand right now? Because there are some people that are at that spot right now, some people listening. Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons why you can be in quicksand. 
Yeah. Uh, some of them can be because you have a sociopathic boss. Some of them can be because you are on a death march of a project. Some of them uh -huh. can be because you're just simply in such deep water that, you, and you don't have a mentor, right? And yeah. so, or you're on a team that's really not trying to help you and you're not at the, their level. Doesn't mean you can't be, but currently True. you're not their level. So there are a whole bunch of reasons. And it's, and, be, and each of those reasons has actually a, a subtly different answers. But I think the number one thing I could say is the thing to remember is career as a software developer is not a sprint. It's a marathon. You have to pace yourself. And so if you feel like you're in quicksand or you're being asked to do more and more and more, and no matter how much you deliver, if people want more from you, remember one thing. If you burn out, whether you're a contractor or an employee, if you burn out and you go, I can't do this anymore, they may be sad, but they will replace you. Yeah, immediately. And, and that's a harsh, hard reality, right? That, wait a minute, you mean I'm not unique? Well, you are unique in your, the way you present and all that, but you're not unique to, you're not irreplaceable ever. You're not and, the only person that can fill that, this role at this company. Correct. No, you are unique. Yeah. You, well, well, you're unique as you, yeah. but you're not irreplaceable on, let's say, a project, right? Yeah. Now, your, your absence may cause a lot of problems, but you're not irreplaceable. And yeah. so if you remember that, then you start going, okay, well, then if, if I could burn out and I'm in a marathon, the only person that can pay, uh, teach me to pace myself is me. Now, that doesn't mean to slack off, but what it does mean, it, that if you think about that and you go, okay, I'm in it for the long haul. And there can be some times where I need to work some long hours, right? Or I, I have to work extra hard. I'm, believe me, I'm an advocate of hard work. And I'm also an advocate of sometimes it requires extra hours. Uh, but I'm also an advocate of quality of life. And so if you have to step back and go, what's really important? Why am I in quicksand? If you're in quicksand because you have a boss who's not acknowledging you, and who is not enabling your success and, and um, uh, giving shout outs to you and, and um, his actions match his or her words, right? Because I'm not trying to be sexist here. It could be a him or her. If you're, if you're working for a boss who doesn't do any of that, then there's only one thing you can do. You have to find a different project. Yeah. Adventures in Angular is a devchat.tv production made in partnership with Hero Devs. Hero Devs is a group of Angular experts who can help your team code like true developer heroes. If your team needs an Angular expert, reach out to Aaron at hero.dev today. I, now, go ahead. Yeah, no, you know, keep going, keep going. So now, if that's not the case, if you are, um, if you feel like you're sinking because um, there's just too much to do, well, there's always going to be too much to do. There's always going to be more and more work. So just pick ones that are the most important ones to work on. You know, uh, figure out a, a pace that seems reasonable for you that you can sort of manage long term. And then you work to that. You, you, and you just communicate. And you, you learn to start pushing back going, I can't deliver that on that time. It's, there's not enough time to do that. Or, or I need more people. Or I'm blocked on this area, right? So you, you can't be a miracle worker on by yourself if people aren't going to, if you're on a team and they just expect you to pull a rabbit out. Boy, that was a mixed set of metaphors. No, it's good. Yeah. Let's, the other one. You can't be the sharpest monkey in the drawer on balance. Just kidding. Mix them all up, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going. It was like, he's pulling a Thomas. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then the other one is, um, the other one is, what if you just, you have the passion the pace isn't too bad, but you just feel lost. Yeah. So there's two other scenarios. Now, you, this one, you feel lost. Well, then find a mentor. That mentor could be on your team, could be someone outside your team. And if they're outside your team, finding a mentor is a little bit harder because a mentor means that someone has to be willing to invest their own time in helping, which means that you have to but engage them on something. We should always for mentors. Everyone, that's like one of the best pieces of advice I would give is if you see someone... Ask them, will you help me? They'll always say yes. And it's, it's always really important to have a mentor, but to always thank your mentors and like to remember, hey, I'm here because I'm a product of the system built by these mentors. So yeah, always, always, always look for new mentors. 
Well, and I'll give you a good example. Someone reached out to me the other day and said they had a problem with RxJS and didn't know the person, just totally reached out at random. And I said, well, it was describing the problem. And I said, well, I'm going to need a stack blitz before I can really help you with this. And he provided a stack blitz and his directions that he were taking were not going to be productive. So okay. I said, hang on, I'll work on the weekend and I'll come up with a stack blitz. So I, I think I took like four or five hours created a stack blitz that showed a lot of these practices and principles. And then and I said, just compare yours to mine, study the differences, and here are some key points that you should think about. And so that was a form of mentorship, but I, I didn't have time and I refused to give time to say, I'm going to, um, and I don't mean this demeaning, but where I'm going to sit and almost hold your hand and guide you through it, right? This yeah. I'll do that on projects, but just randomly out, um, I just, like you, we don't have time to do that. We also have to manage as mentors where we're going to focus our attention. Our energy. hundred percent agree. Right. Especially if we have families, right? hundred percent agree. So that's what I meant is sometimes finding a mentor could be hard because you might find someone who'll give you a quick, like one sentence answer. That's not a mentor. You might find someone who will, or a group that will respond on Twitter with some feedback. That's not a mentor. You might nope. find someone who even gives you a stack blitz that's also not a mentor. A mentor is someone who's going to be that you can bounce questions off over a period of time. And it doesn't mean, by the way, that a mentor holds your hand. It doesn't mean that you, you, you as the student don't have to study a lot and learn and be clear on what your questions are, right? 100%. So there's, there's lots of nuances about that. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, I would always look, you, you can never have one mentor, right, Thomas? Like that's you always right. need to have several. And well, not, not at the same time. I'd say one at a time to, so you can focus because otherwise it's ADD. Yeah, like I have, I have several people like business mentors. Okay. I think I've even come at you with business questions before just because I don't want to tire. I don't want to tire a specific mentor out. So I'll, I'll come oh, at it at different times. Okay, well. that's fair. Yeah, then yeah. in that case, I would agree with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if someone's really burnt out, I, I'll, my take is kind of what you said at the beginning try and step back figure out why you're in quicksand is it your team is it your boss is it the project isn't something that you're you're clicking you're not understanding the project or is it because it's also could be you and the reason i say step back and look at that is because until you can answer that leaving might not help no, that's and right. You you, you, you might you might end up at a new place. Your hat hung on a new door where you call home with the exact same problem. And so, I would recommend figuring out a way. Even though I know you're in quicksand and it's the worst, and you can barely keep your head up, you gotta figure out a way. Even if it's take tours, like you gotta, do, you have to for you and your family. Figure out how to step back and figure out what is the source of the disparity. And be honest with yourself about it. Yeah. And, and if it's you, and if you can't see one, it might be you and it might be time to, to do some self-help and look at some stuff. And, and that, that's the most important one. If it's someone else, I want you to solve that. But that's not the one I'm really concerned about. If it's you, if it's me, Thomas, I need to know that because that's the, that's the only one I can fix. I can't fix a broken boss necessarily. I can't fix yep, yep. a broken PM team yeah. like that, that's, that's out of control. I can't fix a slave drive scenario where they're, you're just death marching on a project, but I can't fix myself and I can work on me. And so try and focus on those. If you're, if you're in one of those scenarios, I would just say, Hey, focus on yourself and see if you see if it is you see if it is something you can fix. And if not, then it is time to, to look for a new place to hang your hat. And you know what? It's also sometimes that quick sand feeling is just because you're burned out. Sometimes you might need to be able to say, I need a month or two or three months off to do something totally not related to my passion. And I'll give you an example. A couple of times I've taken a month or two months off, worked on my house or um, uh, started focusing more on uh, workouts and being healthy, right? The, and recently I'll give you a great example. After eight years in Angular, I got burned out on Angular. Really? I lo- yeah, I, I love Angular, right? But I got burned out for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, yeah. But mostly, I just realized it, 
needed to do something different. Like, mm. like I felt like I love the DI system. I love a lot of the things that were there. Um, some of the things going on uh, at Google have sort of burned me out. Some of the politics of that have been going on. Yeah. And, and you know what I did? I stepped back and I said, so what is something that would challenge me and make me feel like an area that I really don't know? And what I didn't know was React. Hmm. And so I started looking at it. I was like, wow, I don't know. I didn't really know about fibers. How does, you know, change reconciliation work? And how does the uh, the custom hooks work? And uh, yes, JSX and TSX, you know, the, the templating stuff is a little weird to an Angular developer. But I'll tell you what, an Angular developer going to React is infinitely more easier than a React developer going to Angular. There's so much more you have to know to go to Angular. Yeah. But the patterns in Angular... Um, pretty much apply in React, just in their different ways, right? Different uh, syntax. Yeah. Yeah. And so now I have found, um, for example, that I'm really enjoying learning about React and I'm enjoying learning. Um, I mentioned one to you earlier. Uh, I, I want to figure out how MobX works. Like really interesting state management approach that's extreme, like hardly any um, um, uh, crud to it yeah. at all yeah. yet it's a little bit of a, a bit of black magic to be quite honest so i want to learn how that works yeah it's based so, on observables but in a different way than rxjs does it and, and it's using proxies and it's tied to somehow into the rendering mechanism of component yeah. uh, but more than that i'll have to get back with you on it but it's but that's that sort of thing that all of a sudden and so i, I started like, how did I get into that? Well, guess what? I signed up for front-end masters for 40 bucks a month. Oh, good. Went through two React courses and got the basics to go, okay, I'm no longer afraid of it. And wow, this starts to make sense. And then I start applying the patterns I knew in Angular, thinking about how I can make it better and take the React stuff and make it even better. And guess what? I have a whole new area that I'm excited about. Yeah. So that's the other thing I would say is if you're burned out on a tech stack, finds another one that you, you could be equally as excited about. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's good advice. All right, we're way over on time. Literally, this has like been a whole regular <laughs> podcast and it's supposed to be a miniature podcast. Sorry I about feel that. Bad. No, I feel bad. I, I, I want to make sure I'm respecting your time. So I'm going to cut. Hey, if anyone wants to reach out to you and they want to contact you, questions, consulting, any other reason, what's... Oop, I think we you broke up. Oh, Would you say that last sorry. question? Just what's the best way to get in touch with you? Ah, uh, best way is um, email. Tom, okay. Thomas Burleson at gmail.com or, or, or direct message me on Twitter. I, I respond to almost every direct message. Uh, where my passion is these days for the audience is mentoring teens and helping, for example, I'm helping one group right now fix their Git processes and how they do deployment and how they develop software. And it could be in React or Angular, right? And these are um, things that are really cool. So I, I love helping developers be better at what they do and discovering how writing software can not only be productive, but really fun. Yeah, Right. cool. All right, I'm going to move on to the... Uh move on to the section of this podcast. Ah, okay. So I'm hoping you have a pick. I'll go ahead and start. There's a medium blog. It's called angular versus react change detection. And it's by Anshal Kapoor. And she talks about the differences between the angular and the react change detection strategies. And, uh, she does a good job of breaking it down. And I, I learned something. I, I always try and, under, I, I read these kind of articles because I want to understand the similarities between Angular and React. I want to understand where, like, how they're the same. I'm not as concerned where they differ. I'm, I want to always stay up to date as how they're more similar, just because just it helps you talk about them. You know what I'm saying? It helps you have intelligent conversations so you're not going, well, Angular's better <laughs> without any, or, or, you know what I'm saying? Or, well, I like Angular more without having a reason to like it like uh, with only having an emotional backing, not an actual factual backing. So yeah, it's a good article. I'll share it. It will be show notes if anyone wants to come out and read it. So Thomas, you got You got a pick. I do. Uh, my number one pick is something I've been playing with a lot these days and actually using on some projects and it's called, um, well, I pronounce it Immer JS or Imer, I M M E R J S. 
And it's really a set of functions and some a library that you can use not only to um, create and manage immutable data, but the <laughs> biggest problem, so what we mean by immutable data is that if you're going to make changes to, to the data, then you have to create a new instance of it, right? That's Totally, yeah. Yep. And, that, and the reason for that is that's because it optimizes change detection in many scenarios. Yeah, because you can do a reference check versus Correct. a check. Yeah. Is it the same object or not? If it's a different object, well, then you should do something with it, right? Yeah, yeah. So the other approach you can do for immutable data, though, to ensure that is to also make everything read-only, right? You can lock it down. So no one can make change to the data except for maybe a central area. But the problem with that, then, is when you want to make changes to fields, that it, you can use the spread operator and do other things to merge properties in and, and create a whole new instance. But for more complicated objects, it's really easy to make mistakes, and the really cool thing about Immer is it allows you to say, here's a function, and the function's going to take a draft of my state or my object, that, that my data model that I'm managing. And the outside world, it's completely read-only. It's locked down. In the function, I get a draft, which is totally modifiable. And mm -hmm. I can modify like any other, any property I want at any level with just dot notations, dot property X is equal to value X, dot property mm -hmm. Y is equal to of, uh, value Y. And after the function exits, Immer takes care of, of um, reconciling the, the changes and creating a whole new immutable instance and then propagating that around. Gotcha. And it's super cool and it makes your code so much cleaner. So it's useful in RxJS scenarios, very useful in uh, NGRX, especially with NGRX 8 and the creator functions, mm. especially in the reducers and things like that. Um, it's very useful in React. Uh, so I highly recommend people take a look at Immer.js. Yeah, I mean, it won the breakthrough of the year React Open Source Award. Dude, it's amazing. It's got 14,000 stars on um, GitHub. And here's the funny thing is, so I tend, you know, we all, after we're doing something, we, we can get a little bit of hubris. Oh. We can go, yeah, I, I know my shit. I'm, I'm pretty good, right? I, I, yeah. I, I feel confident. Well, guess what? I started looking at the source code for this, and I think it's a little bit like MobX. Yeah, both of the so that source code makes you step back and go, man, I don't know anything. I don't know anything, right? Like yeah. there's so much to learn. This thing has almost 2.4 million weekly downloads in the last year. Yeah. It's more than 20 x its downloads. It's it's an amazing library, and it's platform agnostic. I mean, or tech stack agnostic. Yeah. And it is so, and it's done in TypeScript. So it's and if you look at the way he uses types and gar, um, yeah. uh, unions and all these like and generics, it blows me away. Hmm. Yeah, this is this looks like a solid project. Cool. Well, I put it in the show notes if anyone wants to go check it out. Immerjs. It, it seems pretty legit. Um, as far as it's downloads, that's, that's more downloads than angular, to be honest. Like that's a lot of weekly downloads. It, it's a, and then I, I should give a shout out to who do I think has been, uh, so by the way, right these days, dev.2 is being used a lot. Yeah. Uh, um, let me give a, sh a negative shout out. Dev.2 people fix your UI. It's butt ugly. Medium people fix your paywall issue. You're driving away. Great authors and readers away from medium. And I love medium, right? But yeah. fix that. And then finally, in terms of authors, um, I got to give a shout out to Netanel. Netanel, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, has been a, and, and Ma, is it Maxim? 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 Koryetsky? Uh, yes. Max Wizard? NG Wizard? Yeah. NG Wizard. Those two guys, I just love your articles. You, you guys are totally rock. If you had a Patreon site, I would actually contribute just as a reader because I love the material you push out and the audience should check out the articles that are continually coming from these two authors. Yeah. I, I, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> All right. Well, give me another shout out, Frosty. One more and then, and, and then I won't take your time up. Another shout out. You want me yeah. to give someone a shout out? Oh, another pick or another shout out. And, oh. and uh, for me, and, yes. From you to, to okay. whoever you want. I'm going to do a pick of Someone who, I don't know if I've ever picked this person before, but it's someone who in the last year, a year ago, I didn't know them. Now 
I, I implicitly trust their opinion and their friendship. I think they're great. So I'm going to do a shout out to Jennifer Wadella. She's, she's um, a huge community person. She's a humongous personality. I know few people with a personality this size and I love her. So I'm going to give a shout out to Jennifer Wadella. That, I'll, awesome. I'll pick her as well. She's fantastic. Is she a developer and, and or yep. is she, she no, is, she's wow. a, yeah, she's like, she's either an architect or a principal one or two, and she's a consultant full-time. So she kind of runs in the same circles as you, right? And then she organizes 40 million communities. I don't know. It's a lot. Have, like, have I met this, this woman? Um, I don't know. She was at the last NGConf, but I don't think you were there. I, I was, was but I, I tend to be a hermit these okay. days. Yeah. Yeah, I you put a LinkedIn or a link to her. I'd love yeah. to just say hi. Yeah, that sounds she, awesome. She is fantastic, and she's she's a good person to um, to have as a friend. She gives great advice, and I just like we commiserate over a lot of the same things. So, you know how some days Twitter has a moment, and Twitter's like uh, shut the tab because it's on fire. Uh-huh. Uh Her and I, it's it's. Whenever I get like a random DM from her, I know that something's going on and, and we, we commiserate and agree on most of it. So it's pretty good. I, I will tell, I will tell the audience, not the details, but I will say that Frosty, you with the roles that you've played have had to deal with behind the scenes stuff more than most people would ever want to deal with yeah. and uh, pressures. And I've always been impressed and proud of how you've responded to these. Hmm. Thanks, man. I, uh, it's hard to be, to put yourself out there. You know, anyone who's been a speaker or a teacher knows this. It's hard to, it's hard to put yourself out there. And when you do, you're, you have to take on the responsibility of, of righting your wrongs. It's scary. But, uh, when you have friends like you, you have friends like Jennifer, it is easier because people you safe learning spaces, right? Like you've, you've afforded me some of the past. Jennifer's has People, people afford me a lot of opportunities to fix my mistakes. I I'm wasn't referring, referring to your mistakes, Frosty. I was referring to, for example, you're, you're uh, as one of the founders of NGComp, some of the things that you've had to address yeah. and yeah. the way you've addressed these, right? And so, yeah. so you mis, misunderstood because um, not only do I think you, if you have any mistakes that you've owned up to them in a real, uh, in, uh, um, in a great way, um, in fact, sometimes I think you've overowned up to them. If you want to know the truth, yeah. It, um, I think we've gotten into a society where people are a little bit like the old Japanese uh, kaibatsu's, where someone the executive gets on and he starts crying and 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 uh, uh, begging forgiveness for his management sins. Right. I think we that's become sort of a cultural norm here in the U.S. now, where people get attacked and then they get publicly they start apologizing and. I, I don't like that, right? So that's what I meant by um, when people find themselves having to apologize. It's like, no, the only thing I want is just correct and move on. Like, so I wasn't referring to you. I was referring to things in yeah. general. So I went off on a rant. No, you're good. I uh, People are just getting extra podcasts today for free, by the way. Um, I, I, over, I overdo it because there's no shortage of like fake apologies, but not my fake, sorry, underdone. Let's just say rare, like medium rare. It's not all the way cooked, the apology yet. And I don't ever want to come across as that way that I see these, these not well done apologies happen. So yeah, that's all I'll say. I, I just need to make sure people know this isn't, uh, well, I'm sorry you're mad that I said that. Like, it, I, I apologize because I legit am not going to sleep. If people like if I ruin someone else's day, that's gonna mess me up big time. So I don't know, Frosty. After knowing you all these years, um, I have never felt that you've had a non-positive thought or a bone in your whole body. <laughs> you know what, man? I'm good at. I th I think I'm pretty good at owning my mistakes. The thing I'm bad at is stopping making them. So. Guess what? I think that's called the human condition. I dude. know. I know. That's why I don't beat myself up as much as I could. You totally should. I know we're pretty, I know it's pretty par for the course. So. No, I mean, this, now we're getting this whole idea of gratitude and compassion and consideration, right? But I, if, I think we should be willing to accept that we're going to make mistakes as long as we don't deliberately hurt someone. 
and we um, try to become aware of them as soon as possible and then try to recover and not do them again. I think that's, that's yeah. a beautiful path. Yeah, I agree. Right. We should, we should do another podcast where we just talk about owning your mistakes. I think I, you'd have, a, I think you would, you would kill that podcast. I think maybe we'll invite you. I'll, I'll invite you and Jennifer and we'll do a podcast. What, actually, hey. you know what we should do? I'd love that. Here's why. Lately, I've been thinking about would I go back in time and do things different? And what things would I do different? Like, who would I apologize to? Who would I say I'm sorry and why? I think that's a fascinating topic. Hmm. And I think the older you get, the more you start thinking about those, right? And at least, or the more you slow down, you start thinking about those. Yeah, I agree. That would be, uh, that would be an interesting podcast. Huh. All right. I'm going to send an invite to you. <laughs> right, yeah. man. All right. Thank you. To everyone listening, or to you, I'll say thanks for coming on. And to all the listeners, I'll say thanks. And we'll see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.